politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. Life, liberty, property, culture, and everything in between is all on the line. And yet, we don't have a team on the field. We don't have an army in the field to actually affect those results and outcomes on those issues that matter. We have a movement that is still stuck like a Brokeback Mountain relationship with the GOP. And I'm just going to tell you straight out, and by the way, it is Daniel Horowitz back here. We're just jumping right into it on this Wednesday, the 21st of February. We need a new party. We will never achieve our goals in the long run on any front in almost any state without a new party. When will we get the message that we are not wanted, our values are not wanted? The the GOP detests our values. Or are we going to change our values to comport with the GOP? Well, that's kind of what we're seeing now. The only movement I see in place that is even getting us towards that direction is the State Freedom Caucus movement. We are going to have a Uh, the Missouri executive director on the show coming up to talk about how we were screwed there. And we're going to talk about every day. We're screwed in this red state, that red state. So certainly by by a thousand miles, you're not going to make this work at a federal level. My colleagues don't have a solution to this. They won't look you in the eye and be honest with you and tell you we will never succeed in the long run without a new party. That is clear. Now, obviously... I don't have anyone else willing to join and create one. You have all the barriers to ballot access. But my plan always was they use our vote to screw us on policy. So why don't we just use them for ballot access, but then operate as a basically an autonomous party? And that's what we're starting to see in places like South Carolina, Missouri. We're going to talk about that coming up. Go back to Missouri. We've talked about some other states coming up. But... um. You know, this is where we were headed before 2016. There was a realization that the Republican Party wasn't working for us. But then Trump came along, and all my colleagues now, they'll look at me and they say, yeah, yeah, the GOP is terrible. They'll all say that. But then they don't do anything to act upon it, anything to get red-pilled, to uh, pressure red state legislators, governors, down the ballot primaries. Even even the federal budget bill, no one is building a case for a shutdown fight or has been really all year because they're so distracted and white-pilled with Trump. All we have to do is just vote Mitt Trump. Don't even have to ballot harvest. Don't even have to create a ground game. Just donate to the legal things. No one, no one even understands the outcome of those cases and what that means for us. And somehow it's all going to work out as if the last eight years never occurred. So I want to go through some of this today. We'll start out with South Dakota to build the case for why we're irremediably broken and how Trump is actually harming us in all of our other endeavors for people to get to the truth because they're just so white-pilled behind him. It's so weird. 
But first, our sponsor today with inflation. By the way, you know, they said, oh, inflation is over. Whoops. The CPI and PPI, even with the government's manipulated data, uh, are skyrocketing again. And, and, and remember, these increases are on top of the three-year baseline, meaning you would hope we'd go back to original prices. No. I mean, even a, even a couple of months that had dovish uh, CPI reports, it was all a matter of how much it's increasing from the record high baseline. So now is the time to invest in gold. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of you, you really have, you know, most of you have about another month and a half, another seven, eight weeks to do your taxes. If you have money left over, often you want to put it into a 401k and IRA to defer the tax liability. Um, so where are you going to invest it? Stock market's record high. It's all a casino. It's all fake, by the way. It really is pathetic. <laughs> it's like, what was it? Home Depot now has five months in a row of uh, of losses. And yet we're told it's 5% GDP growth. I mean, the whole thing is a fraud. Put it in something of real value. Everything is fake. Fake human beings, fake men and women, fake citizens, fake food, fake products, fake currency. Invest with gold today by texting Daniel to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. Then call them because if digital currency becomes a reality, it would sure be nice to have some gold in your back pocket. So folks, South Dakota yesterday, we had probably the most important property rights fight you could ever have, but no one focuses on it. HB 1219 by my friend John Henson. To prevent eminent domain for private use, okay? Private use. That means that something that is not a public utility, in fact, it's delivering no utility to anyone, grabbing carbon, they cannot grab your land to build those carbon pipelines. It failed 32 36 in the House, and the House is relatively more conservative than the Senate, so it only goes downhill from there. So we lost by three votes. Now, you got to believe that had Christy Nome been forced to weigh in as a popular governor there, you got to believe it would have been worth at least three votes. There's no question it would have been. But Christy Nome is allowed to skate by without taking a position on the most contentious issue in the state, a radical proposition of a foreign-backed green energy company using federal subsidies to grab land and you know make, make it as if carbon is poison and build a retarded underground carbon infrastructure. But she's allowed to skate by without saying anything. Because she has the orange hall pass. The orange hall pass. But the Trump. She supports him. He supports her. So it's all good. This is how we've gone backwards. My colleagues would not bite on this story. And by the way, I was told that all of local media was talking about my column on Christy Nome. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a very big fish in this pond. As you well know. If you could imagine... If all these conservatives would jump on their case, we would create a market for a new party. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And not only is it not happening, but again, we've gone backwards. 
You know, it says in Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look forward and let your eyelids look straight ahead of you. Weigh the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Turn neither right nor left. Keep your feet from evil. If you don't have your eye on the prize, you're going to have it on evil. You're going to deviate. We all used to believe in something. Traditional values, free and unfettered markets, individual freedoms. And we would look towards those outcomes. The means, the process is not as important. Sometimes it's going to change. Sometimes to achieve your objectives, you might change a process. Political modus operandi. But the objectives should remain fixed. Instead, we have the opposite, a movement that just shifts right, left, jumps upside down, tap dances, has no objective of what is it we believe and what is it we are trying to achieve. And that's why you have this entire crude culture now that has surrounded Trump and and MAGA that is not, I don't mean it's hardcore like fighting the rhinos on the issues and changing the party. Oh, no. Like you're going to see in a minute, it's totally white-pilled. Make the establishment great again. But just gratuitously being nasty to people. Just being crude. Fornicating. The Bruce Jenner stuff. It's like, you know, some people were talking about this. Kimberly Kerfoyle, whatever, however you pronounce her name. Don Jr., who's touted as the next presidential candidate. His girlfriend, or I don't know, they engaged or something, whatever it is. But she walks around like an utter tramp. And and she she is the most she's the influential person. Not people like you and me. Those are the people that matter within that orbit. We're just okay with that entire lifestyle. But anyway, so everyone's like, Daniel, I'm sick of Kevin McCarthy. I'm sick of the establishment. Yeah, you're right. The Republican Party is terrible. But the Trump. Okay. Here is an article from Politico. And again, you don't need to trust Politico. This is a fact. I mean, it's verifiable. Former President Donald Trump endorsed Kevin McCarthy's chosen successor for his seat Tuesday, giving Assembly member Vince Fung a major advantage in his deep red Central Valley District. Fung, a Bakersfield Republican, has been the putative frontrunner in the contest, buoyed by his long-standing ties to McCarthy's political operation. But his race had also become a referendum on anti-establishment sentiment among GOP voters, with his opponents positioning themselves as the true standard bearers of Trump's party. Actually, to be fair, McCarthy is the true standard bearer, but we're talking about perception. Trump's backing gives Fong a much-needed credibility boost among the MAGA faithful. How many times have we seen this? And this is in McCarthy's own district, California 20. And by the way, it's funny. McCarthy made sure to give himself by far the most conservative district in all of California. Like, needlessly so that we could have 
put more districts in play, but he cut a deal with the Democrats. So his is something like an R plus 14 district. It, it's the Bakersfield area, but it skirts the core inner city of Bakersville. So it's, you know, you don't have those Democrat voters. Now is the time to unite around Vince Fung and elect a true Republican to the seat, Trump wrote on his social media network, True Social. Fung quickly publicized the post. McCarthy has been influential in guiding Trump's endorsements in the past. In particularly, he helped convince the former president not to endorse the challenger to GOP rep David Villado in neighboring Central Valley District in 2022. That guy's a big rhino. Trump's endorsement is especially a blow to Tular, uh, uh, Tulare County Sheriff Mike Boudreaux, who has run to Fung's right as a law and order conservative and a change from the McCarthy machine. Boudreaux had scooped up the endorsement of Trump administration figures, but not the man himself. Not the man himself. And, and, and this is where we are. It's going to happen again and again and again and again. This operation of Kevin McCarthy's is working with him. This is what happened when he was president. It was the very people that the Trump supporters claimed that we were trying to vanquish were the ones who had the inside track, the home field advantage with the man every time. He's still doing this. This is McCarthy's own seat, and it's the most conservative seat in California. We should be able to run up the score with a good guy. Nope. Trump just needlessly butts in. No reason whatsoever. Again, what does that tell you? He's It's not even an incumbent seat. It's an open seat. Open Republican seat. Why are you getting involved? Okay, it's not like there's anything personal. None of the candidates were well-known to him. We're well-known nationally. They're only local candidates. None of them have said anything quite bad in either direction about Trump. So there's nothing personal here. It's not, there's no obvious reason to get involved. What that demonstrates is that McCarthy and his machine, which is close with McConnell and his machine, they still have the inside track. And where does the rubber meet the road on this? In Montana. In Montana where Matt Rosendale was forced out of the race, the most MAGA guy you could have, for this random guy recruited by Steve Daines, the rhino senator from there, and McConnell and McCarthy's network. And they get in to get Trump to endorse. And by the way, this whole thing is so stupid. Oh, this is the most electable. Oh yeah, Trump is really good at choosing electable candidates. Like Mehmet Oz was the most electable candidate in Pennsylvania. This happens again and again. This Sheehy guy. So there's one thing if you have a guy that's like a real conservative rabble rouser. And then you have a popular Democrat holding on, you know, stubbornly in a red state. You want to defeat him. And you're like... There's this 800-pound gorilla establishment Republican in the room that you know he's going to get the seat. I'm not agreeing to that strategy. I actually disagree because you're not going to get 51, 60 seats anyway. We're at maybe 10 in the Senate. So it's a matter of the quality. Are you increasing the 10, not the number of Republicans? Because it does nothing for you, as we've learned all these years. You actually go backwards because they work with Schumer against House Republicans. But there's one thing if you had a guy that was, let's say, a former establishment Republican governor that was very popular. You recruit him to run for Senate. 
No, this guy Sheehy is, no one knows anything about him. He's never done anything for us. He's never been involved in politics. It's just random. You know a guy like that is going to be owned by McConnell. This is a guy, Todd Wood, from the Montana Sentinel. Montana Sentinel is like the best local publication for grassroots conservatives. Here's what they had to say. They're feeling as, again, and these are like the type of people that would have been MAGA foot soldiers. This is their feeling on the ground. Congressman Matt Rosendale is withdrawn from the approaching GOP primary for U.S. Senate Montana. In short, the GOP establishment political machine run by Senator Mitch McConnell in Washington got its way and will likely lead to a loss in the general election. Rosendale received standing ovations from the grassroots at local events. His competitor, Tim Sheehy, not so much. Yet she had the billionaires, billions behind him in a tragic decision in line with Trump's horrendous personal decision, personnel decisions of the past. Number 45, meaning Trump, endorsed Sheehy. This has caused a lot of dark feelings towards Trump in Montana. Maybe there was some good reason for it. Maybe there were favors given in back rooms. Maybe not. Maybe Trump just made a crappy decision. It wouldn't be the first time. She is picked by McConnell through Senator Daines to make sure she is compliant to the establishment. Daines is funding a lot of she's efforts uh, with a super PAC. I am a MAGA supporter. I am a Trump supporter. However, we at CDM, the Montana Sentinel, made a decision long time ago to report the truth no matter where it lands. And on this issue, the truth is Trump betrayed MAGA in Montana. She will not stand up for the grassroots in Washington. We are told Trump Jr. is buddies with Zinke. Zinke is buddies with Xi. And Xi's business was funded by the Department of Interior grant signed off by Zinke when he was Secretary of Interior under Trump. Another player in the game is Aaron Flint, whatever this guy, talk show host. The decision will have long-lasting negative effects for the GOP, for MAGA, and for the nation. It doesn't bode well for the second Trump term. He's still making bad personnel decisions, which seriously harmed his first term. The decision will also cause many MAGA diehards to question Trump's real intentions for the nation. Rosendale took massive political risk and stood up for MAGA in the House against McCarthy, who Trump also pushed. And in the end, Rosendale was betrayed. Why would any other patriot stand up for the nation in the future when he now knows Trump will stab him in the back? Unfortunately, unfortunate to say the least. And that is the punchline. This is the problem with recruitment. If people watching all this, there is no, there's just no incentive for any of them to run. None. None whatsoever. And and that's why this is the irony. If Trump were to somehow win, which I still don't understand it, the evidence of that with these fake polls that, <laughs> like, for example, there's a poll out that has Trump winning by double the margin in Georgia as he is North Carolina. It makes no sense. Trump's weakest state was Georgia. 40% of Republicans had a negative feeling towards him because they blame, you know, they're with Brian Kemp. Whether you like Brian or not, he's popular there. And Brian beat him out on a lot of proxy races. They blame him for losing two Senate seats. Whereas North Carolina has been trending, you know, since Obama's time, trending more in the right direction. It doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of examples of this where it shows Trump 10 points ahead of the Republican Senate candidate in Pennsylvania. There's no evidence of that. 
Republicans are getting crushed everywhere. You might say, well, maybe Trump is more popular than Republicans with, with suburban voters. Oh, yeah, sure. The whole story of 2020 was that Trump lagged. The Republican Party did generally pretty good that election. Trump lagged. So, you know, we all thought, okay, maybe it was stolen. But either way, whether it's real or stolen, <laughs> then they'll do it again. But all my colleagues, they have no answer to this, even if he were to win. There is no evidence that he's going to make better personnel decisions, better policy decisions, that everything is not going to be personal backdoor deals with Don Jr. So Don Jr. is like the new Jared Kushner. First term it was Kushner. This time it would be Jr. And moreover, everyone blames everything on Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, McConnell. No! It wasn't Trump's fault. The GOP sucks. So then all the more so, commensurate with how much you believe the down-the-ballot GOP candidates and, and sitting members were responsible for undermining his success is how much you are culpable for giving this guy a pass to just endorse more of the same. Like, for example, two years from now, 2026, Lindsey Graham is up for election. Who are you going to recruit to run against him in a primary when they know that Trump will endorse Lindsey? Because Lindsey even gets Trump to endorse his favorite candidates in other states, so certainly Lindsey himself. This is a big problem. This is what I tell you. You cannot imagine four cycles worth of people, of races that we never even got off the ground because these people wouldn't run. And why would you? You'll lose. Last night at this town hall with Laura Ingram, Trump singles out Tim Scott and his audience as a likely VP candidate. I mean, Tim Scott is the biggest globalist racial panderer, but now he's great. We're going to let... And here's the thing. He might not pick him for VP. But... I hear from the grapevine that Tim Scott might want to run for governor. And now he'll be elevated. Trump will endorse Tim Scott if he wants it for governor and Lindsey Graham for Senate. He is a nuclear bomb on changing the Republican Party, which is why it's irremediably broken. And then the irony is they're like, shut up, Daniel. You're not allowed to work on other projects where he is directly and indirectly nuking us, you can't call him out because it's all about that. Okay, fine, it's all about the presidential election. But then what's your path to winning? To her credit, Laura Ingram actually asked him about the, you know, the early voting, the ballot harvesting. Like, what's your plan for it? Take a listen to Laura Ingram, um, about 40 seconds here, uh, to her question to Trump. How are you going to make sure that mail-in ballots and voter fraud, which we heard from a lot of people in line, was an issue front and center. They're very concerned about mail-in voting. So forget the past. What are you going to do to make sure we don't have problems going forward? If you have mail-in voting, you automatically have fraud. If you have Okay, well, there's mail-in voting in Florida, and you won huge. That's right. If you have it, you're going to have fraud. But you won. Because you don't have any. When you go into a voting place, like you go into one in a, in a properly run state, they look at you, they give you give voter ID, you give all sorts of identification. I mean, it would be very hard to cheat in a mass scale. When you. 
Okay, folks, so you heard that. What are you going to do about the mail-in ballots? And by the way, she hit him on Florida. She's like, well, you know, Florida, it's, uh, you know, it didn't seem to be a problem there. Now, again, we all agree this is stupid. It's pathetic. That's not how you hold an election. But again, when did this take off? I mean, it was they were, the left was building it in blue states for a while. But they got a lot of the critical states with the CARES Act and Trump's lockdown. But the point is, he offers no solution. At this point, there's nothing you can do about the critical states you need in terms of mail-in ballots, changing the law. You could shore up red states, but you're going to win them anyway. You know, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona. You need to have an operation to get this done and match the Democrats on mail-ins. But instead, this has been like the fifth time that Trump has demurred. And, and often he says, oh, we have enough votes. So what is your plan? What is your plan? Trump has no plan to win, no plan to govern better if he did win, and then we can't even recede back into red states as our Noah's Ark in case, you know, Biden wins re-election and they win, you know, win large majorities in the House and, you know, keep the Senate. Not that it matters much, but, you know, recede back to red states because guess what? We don't have the votes there either because he keeps endorsing these pieces of garbage. And then my colleagues don't even have the attention span to focus on it. Either because they're distracted. Again, Proverbs 425. They don't let their eyes look forward, look straight ahead at their goal. Or because often these guys ingratiate themselves to, to Trump, like Christy Nome, so they don't want to call her out. So I want to I wanna go through another case study of how we're failing miserably, including even on election issues, by the way, in red states, by moving to Missouri. So folks, as we transition back to, you know, focusing on the states and in this case, Missouri, I just want to underscore that this really is the most important election of our lifetime. No, I don't mean the presidential election. I mean the state legislative and gubernatorial primaries to the extent we even have the latter. Because right now, here's what you need to understand. No matter who would be the GOP nominee for president, theoretically, we have a juggernaut dealing with basically culture. You know, you got to win hearts and minds of people that have really been brainwashed around the 50-yard line of American politics, the type of voters you need to win those critical states. And then that whole, you know, mail-in ballot juggernaut that they created. I mean, that is very difficult. And, you know, as we're saying, even, even if you would somehow achieve that, you'd have narrow rhino majorities where we're not really changing much in Congress. We got the personnel issues with Trump. We got we got a lot of different things going on. But you have half of America, at least 22, 23 states for sure, where you have I would say supermajority trifectas, and the Republicans do have that. 
But obviously, they're not really Republicans, or maybe we're not really, really the Republicans. But what I mean is where you don't have to do anything in terms of finesse, changing hearts and minds, um, or, you know, obviously some sort of fancy ground game to win decisively for Trump or whoever else in any other year would be a Republican presidential nominee. You don't, you don't have to do that. Yet, if we don't change the type of Republicans we are voting for, and, and remember, in most states, they're all in cycle. It's not like the U.S. Senate. In most states, they are in cycle um, every election. <laughs> so side by side with a focus on the legislative proceedings of all these red states that are screwing us, you focus on the primaries. You could create a market for a de facto new party. You might run as a Republican, but people that understand that the current Republican Party is literally indistinguishable from Democrats. And really, as I've said before, the State Freedom Caucus Network is the only movement I see doing that that's picking a fight directly. You know, we, we could say, we could be happy. Oh, in Missouri, there's a 24 to 10 majority in the Senate and 111 52 majority in the House. Oh, let's not rip that scab off. We're just happy. At least we don't have Democrats. But it's worthless if we just sit there looking pretty with those fake numbers and don't expose that these guys are really just Democrats. It's it's just an utter fraud, and we're really not changing anything. That's the reality. We are not changing anything. The primaries are going to matter, but in order to buttress the primaries, we need to expose to the voters that you know, you can't just sit on your laurels, focus on the presidential general election, be happy that you're in a state that's not electing a Democrat because you are electing Democrats. And what's worse is the voters often don't realize. So one of the most successful Freedom Caucuses is the Missouri Freedom Caucus. We've had a number of their uh, members on the show, and they are willing to pick a fight, offer amendments, and let the chips fall where they are so we could create a market to actually change who's there. So with us today to discuss something that happened yesterday in Missouri is Tim Jones. He's the state director of the Missouri uh, Freedom Caucus. Um, but he's very unique in the fact that he served in, in the Missouri House uh, for, for eight years, uh, you know, ending in 2015. Eventually, he became majority leader and then speaker. Um, and that was kind of the golden era, that kind of 2014, 2015, where we were actually doing good things in some red state legislatures before we got derailed, and now we're kind of building that back again. He was also served in local government. Um, he, Tim is the host of the Tim Jones Show on St. Louis's Fox News radio affiliate KFTK, so really runs the gambit of Missouri politics. You could follow him at Speaker Tim Jones on Twitter, and he is with us in the flesh at Blaze Media. Hey, Tim, welcome for the first time to Blaze Media. Daniel, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor, a privilege, and a, pl a pleasure. I appreciate all of your great work, and it's really just fantastic to be on the show with you today. To to your point, tell your listeners exactly what is going on in state legislatures all across the country, specifically for our, our purposes today, the Show Me State here in Missouri. So we have a 24 to 10 majority in the Senate, GOP majority. Um, you know, that, that would be the equivalent of like a 
a 70-30 majority in the U.S. Senate. Imagine imagine having something like that, and we're all longing for, like, you know, maybe they'll win 51 seats in the best-case scenario, 52, and with a bunch of these nebulous guys that are just, you know, McConnell acolytes with the exception of maybe eight or ten of them, and, and we think somehow we're going to save that, and yet we don't even watch what's going on in, in all these states. And Missouri is nothing really unique. Unfortunately, it's more of the rule than the exception. 24-10 majority. Talk about what happened yesterday where we tried to prevent non-citizens from voting and foreign influence in elections, which you would think would be kind of pretty baseline for a red state, and we couldn't even get that passed. Yeah, Daniel, and you hit the bullseye on so many of your top-line arguments if folks think that the only battle in this country is in Washington, D.C., or in the purple or, or blue states, I hate to tell them they're, they're wrong because the battle for the hearts, minds, and souls of the nation, Daniel, it's, always, it's also in the red states. And people may be shocked to hear this. And I know this is shocking, and it should be shocking, because where you have these supermajority Republican legislatures, you would think that all of them would be protecting their voters and their citizens who sent them to that supermajority, protecting them from the lunatic left and all you know the disaster of their decaying urban cores where the progressive leftists have completely taken over. But you would think in those dominating red states that everyone would be a movement conservative. And to your point, they're not. We have people have to really figure out these days in these supermajority Republican-led states. Are they Republicans in name only? Are they really rhinos? Or are they movement conservatives in heart, mind, soul, and body where they're trying actively every year to put, and not even, you know, nothing even that, nothing even that, you know, far reaching. How about just things like cutting taxes, reducing regulations, protecting our constitutional rights? What's happened is you have a lot of people in states like Missouri, which used to be a democratically run state until you know, barely 20 years ago, uh, for 60 plus years, Democrats ran the General Assembly. And you can imagine over those 60 years how much expansion they did in government. So we've got decades of cleanup to do. So, you know, a lot of folks, you know, we, we didn't like import a bunch of hardcore conservative Republicans here. A lot of Democrats, especially in the rural areas, they realized the only way they were going to be in power and in office was to adopt the R label and then come here. And Traditional Missouri Democrats, the, the conservative ones, yes, they believe in life. They believe in Second Amendment rights. But that's about where it ends. They're not fiscal conservatives. They don't want to reduce the size and scope of government. And uh, those Democrats are all gone, right? The, the Democrats in Missouri now, I hate to tell people this, Missouri, uh, Missouri has its version of California and New York. It's called St. Louis and Kansas City. Yep. And those urban areas are just as bad as the leftist progressivism we see on the coast. It really is. It's really horrific, even in flyover country here in the heartland. So you've got this weird mixture, as you pointed out, of, of uh, when you're counting noses in the Republican supermajorities, you've got you to gotta delve into the Republican caucuses and figure out who are the Freedom Caucus folks, who are the movement conservatives, who are the ones that want to protect our rights, life. Second Amendment rights, cut taxes, re reduce the size and scope of government, and which ones are really there as wolf in sheep's clothing. And so, Daniel, the problem we've had in Missouri, as Missouri became a Republican majority and then a Republican supermajority, the left realized 
they were not going to be able to, you know, cause any mischief any longer, thankfully, through the legislative process, largely. You know, every once in a while they get a little, you know, Pyrrhic victory here and there, but largely, yeah. even the rhino Republicans, they don't, they don't you know, they, they don't try to do lefty stuff, but they, they do liberal stuff. So what the left has done, Daniel, they've gone to the ballot box. We have a very wide open, quote, citizen-led initiative petition process, and that's how the left has gone after uh, Missouri voters with deceptive campaigns to yep. do things like expand Medicaid and so on and so forth. And 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 we saw that we saw that with Medicaid, we saw that obviously very recently with abortion. So you had this SJR seventy four. You were trying to um, yes repeal. To talk about what you're trying to do at the ballot initiative level. What changes you're making? The significance of them, and then also the amendment that got voted down. Yes. So as I said, it's a recent phenomenon in Missouri where the left has decided, you know what, we're not going to worry about winning elections anymore. We're not going to worry about the House or the Senate. We're just going to get a hold of our leftist billionaire, largely out-of-state friends, and we're going to have them fund these massive multi-million dollar campaigns to put deceptive ballot initiatives on the ballot, right? We're going we're gonna to try to take over the electoral process. We're going to try to enshrine abortion into Missouri's Constitution. We're going to try to start taking away Second Amendment rights. And, and your listeners are probably thinking, well, Tim, come on, that's never going to fly. Well, Daniel, as you know, they don't say that's what they're doing, right? The ballot summary or the ballot proposal, it says something differently than what the real goal is in the five or 10 or 15 page single space typed uh, proposition that voters don't have the time or, or, or the desire to read. And so they go to the ballot box. So what, what Republicans in Missouri have been trying to do for five years now has been to tighten down that process. We believe as Republicans in Missouri, it should no longer, that our constitution should no longer be the playground of out-of-state leftist billionaires. It shouldn't be so easy to amend our constitution, right? That's supposed to be a sacred document. If you want to do an initiative petition to amend our statutes, you can still do that. We're not touching that process at all. But the Constitution should be a sacred document. Abortion should not be enshrined in it. Restrictions on Second Amendment rights should not be enshrined in it. So Republicans are saying we're going to tighten that down a little bit, similar to amending the U.S. Constitution, which has hardly been amended over the past 235 years. So that bill has been in our legislature for years. And guess what, Daniel? Those rhino Republicans, those liberal Republicans, they have been finding a million different ways to kill that proposal. This year is the last year that we have really have the opportunity to get this done because the left has come to Missouri and they are going to put a full scale abortion initiative yep. on Missouri's ballot this November, just like they did in Ohio. They're going to cloak it in, in catchphrases like safeguarding women's health care and reproductive rights. It's going to be abortion on demand up to the point of birth. And so we, this is a last ditch effort by Missouri Republicans to try to change the initiative process, so it's not going to be so easy to enshrine abortion in our constitution. That bill was on the floor this week. The only reason it was on the floor was because the Freedom Caucus in Missouri pushed hard. Senate leadership was blocking that bill, slow walking that bill, not wanting to do that bill. To my point, we are in the eighth week of session. The eighth week of session. This is the number one priority. They finally got it to the floor. The Senate president, Caleb Rowden, has been killing this bill for eight weeks. The Freedom Caucus called him out on it. They got the bill. They embarrassed him so much. They finally got the bill to the floor. 
And then it got partially gutted by the nine moderate Republicans who can't stand the Freedom Caucus. It's not a dead issue yet. There's hope for us in the House, but they took out some of those provisions that I know you want to talk about next. Yeah. So 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 talk about that, um, how they gutted it and how these are things that I thought were baseline. And I want, as we discuss this, I, I want people to realize this funny dichotomy. Again, in Missouri, in, in, in and we talk about the Dakotas a lot, we talk about Wyoming, you don't need to have a ballot harvesting operation. You, don't need, you just need to influence, wield the influence of the majority of the people on the process, and we will change this. But the problem is we don't. So you have this weird outcome where... One after another, Trump is going to win every primary like 80-20, okay, over Nikki Haley. So, the, you know, beyond 20%, Republican voters don't want Nikki Haley. But ironically, up and down the ballot of red states from governor to often the, the committee chairs and the you know majority leader speakers in most of these states, they're to the left of Nikki Haley on, on some of these yeah. issues that even she clearly um, wouldn't uh, – go for and and I think this is an example so talk about these amendments yes so so the, the the proposal before the Senate yesterday was to reform our initiative petition process reform the way that our Constitution our sacred document gets amended so we're going to keep the 50 percent plus one threshold but we're going to add a concurrent majority of congressional districts ah. that way St Louis and Kansas City don't there. out don't outvote the rest of the state. Exactly. So that's all the change was. In addition, we had two very important components as part of that to make sure people know how important this was. We're saying, okay, if you're going to amend the Constitution, you need to be a citizen of the United States, right? So it's basically we want to prevent non-citizens from voting. People say, well, that's not a problem in Missouri. Well, not yet. It's a problem in New York. It's a problem in California. It's a problem five hours to our north in Chicago. And so we're going to try to be preemptive and say, no, we don't want illegal aliens voting on our constitutional amendments. So part of this proposal to tighten down the approval of constitutional amendments is to also say only citizens should be able to vote on our constitutional amendment changes. And we want to prevent foreign influence and interference from China and Russia and whoever else from being involved as well. So those were the two key provisions, in addition to what I also just said, that were in the bill. The, the moderates in our Missouri State Senate, moderate is probably being nice, uh, oh, yeah. the liberal rhino Republicans, they despise the Freedom Caucus so much because the Freedom Caucus has been exposing these people over the last few years. They've been showing that all Republicans are not created equal, that there are Republicans who actually want to do Republican things, and then there's these other Republicans who want to do what the left wants, or the special interests, or the consultant class, or you know, I could go on and on and on. And so they hate that they and they hate them so much. They're so depraved that they're willing to go ahead and risk abortion being enshrined in our Constitution. Daniel, they gutted. They had an amendment. It was a surprise amendment. We never expected it, even from these Republicans. They gutted those two provisions relating to uh, preventing illegal aliens from voting on constitutional amendments and keeping foreign money out of our elections. That's how much they despise the Freedom Caucus. That was the only way the Democrats were going to let the bill go is if those provisions were gutted, they, the Democrats were filibustering the overall how many, bill. How many Republicans so, joined? Nine. Nine Republicans, including including 
the Senate president, Caleb Rowden, <laughs> and the budget chairman, Lincoln Huff, who can't spend enough taxpayer dollars. So, so that's nine out of 24 Republicans. Okay, I mean, that is more than a third of the Republicans couldn't hold the ground of something that I would imagine Nikki Haley would have supported. So, I mean, these, these guys are really far left, um, which Horrible. leads me to just the fundamental question. I'm trying to figure out. I was shocked that you I – didn't, I didn't realize that you were a majority leader and speaker last decade in the House. We have a general problem that with the exception of maybe like the New Hampshire House majority leader, I know one or two others, almost all of the leadership positions in every red state legislature, they're awful. How in the world did you get into that position, and does term limits have something to do with it? It does uh, because of term limits. And look, you know, I know a lot of conservatives uh, and Republicans like term limits. I, I'm not opposed totally to a term limit concept, but I will tell you, you can make term limits really bad. And in Missouri, they're incredibly restrictive. They're, you, can only be eight, you can only serve eight years in the House. You can only serve eight years in the Senate. It's constitutional and it's a lifetime ban. So you can't go back. You can't go back and forth between the chambers. You can only serve up to eight in the House and you can serve up to eight in the Senate. Very few, very few representatives go to the Senate because we have a very small Senate. So you don't have institutional memory. Guess who ends up running the Missouri Capitol? The lobbyist class, the consultant class, the bureaucratic class, and the senior staffer class. And they, they, they are in and of government. So their goal, all those classes, their goal is to grow government, to make it bigger, to make it more intrusive. And so term limits in Missouri have been really restrictive and really confounding. And so, you know, leadership, Daniel, some years it's the luck of the dice. It's like, OK, well, who's next? And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, I had a small Republican class. We actually were in the minority as a class. We were in the majority as a whole because that was when we were kind of still flipping Missouri from yeah. blue to red. And so, you know, I was able to make the case that I should be leader and speaker but let me tell you, um, I loved it. It was an honor and a privilege, and I thank Missourians for putting me there. It was a daily struggle to get a lot of my so-called Republicans to vote for tax cuts, to vote for right to work, to, to vote for regulatory reform, to vote for educational choice. Holy Toledo, you would have thought I, I, mean, I was— those uh, are the bedrock. We're not even getting to some of the harder core things that you and I want no. to do nowadays. That was kind of what just made any— uh, even a traditional Chamber of Commerce Republican, um, I mean, this is how bad it is. And it's just we're we're allowing the areas where culturally the people are most likely to support us to just rot. Um, and that's why I love the fact that you guys are just, you know, ripping off that Band-Aid. And because, you know, these guys are literally Democrats. Um, I, yes. One other thing, I know you got to run a couple minutes. I, I think that's important to this discussion I ask a lot of people this because you you served in in leadership there. One of the problems that I'm finding is, and, and, and you really framed it very well, that normally we like limited government. So, you know, you, you want to just keep it limited. But what happens if you have, like you said, 60 years, often the map is flipped, especially in the South, and I include Missouri in the South for these purposes, mm -hmm. um, where party ID was the other way around. So it's relatively recent this generation Republicans took in, you know, came in. Um, so, you know, you have at the Department of Education, Department of Health, and all the NGOs that they work with, it's as much of a cesspool as California, as New York. You know, I say it on the show all the time, Florida is literally, literally the only red state 
where you have a Department of Health that's a force for good. That's actually, yes. you know, you know, every other red state, it may as well be California, it may as well be run by Fauci. Awful, awful, awful. Run by the state university <laughs> systems, medical cartels, no medical freedom. Okay. So what happens is we start building support for certain initiatives, certain legislation. But what I'm finding the problem we have is, so they, you talk about the initiative process, which is interesting that they're using that. But aside from that, they use the courts and they use certainly the executive branch bureaucracies that they legislate yeah. 365 days a year. So you come to the legislature and that is the only means of redress for our side to to fight back, to introduce a bill, to change things. But they're in session in most of these smaller red states for three seconds. You can introduce legislation for two seconds of those three seconds. They have barely any staff. They barely get paid. right? And we, we don't typically like to say, oh, we want to grow it. But how do you have an 1890s legislature when you have a 2024 executive branch that it gets more funding from the federal government now than, than even what the state legislature would naturally oversee, you know, in-house within the state budget. Don't, don't we need some sort of reforms there? Otherwise, we're never going to be able to change anything. Absolutely. Boy, you hit, you hit, you're so spot on there. Yes, after 60 plus years of, of traditional old school, let's grow government every single session rule under the Democrats. Yes, people say, oh, Republicans have been in power in Missouri for 20 years. That's barely a generation, right? We're trying to undo multi-generations of massive government growth. And yes, you're correct. People may be surprised to learn this. Missouri has one of the largest government workforces in the country. Uh, between uh, the last 10 years, the last, the last decade or so, Missouri's population has grown, but just a little bit. We've, we've grown maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe 5%, 10%. Our budget, Daniel, in the last 10 years has doubled it's doubled. It's grown. Compared to our population, the budget has grown 260%. This is in a, what a lot of people think, a hardcore conservative red state. Not so much. Not so much at all. We have a ton of big government R's. And why? Well, because as you said, they're actually Democrats. They come from Democratic families. They've been Democratic families for generations. But the only way they're going to get in power is to run as a Republican. So, yes, we're, we're, we're decent on the pro-life issue. We're decent on protecting Second Amendment rights. All that's going to go by the wayside, though, if we don't do something to fix this initiative petition process, which is what the Freedom Caucus is trying to do. The, the big three priorities this year of the Freedom Caucus in Missouri, fix the initiative petition process so abortion does not get enshrined in our freaking Constitution, uh, do a serious tax cut, of either personal property with this bizarre personal property tax or continue to lower our income tax and as you just pointed out significant budget reform we've got to rein in these out of control agencies because even in a red state like Missouri the bureaucracy continues to grow and drown everything else out yeah and that's how you get covid fascism that's how you get the cultural marxism things like that before you go um you have three members that are running for higher office uh, bob onder is running for Congress, Denny Hoskins for Secretary of State, and Bill Eigel for Governor, which is really the the grand prize there. Um, do you have an effort in place to run people for legislature to to start changing some of these guys that, for example, voted uh, you know for non citizens to vote yesterday? 
Yes, yes. And we also have Senator Andrew Koenig, who's running for state treasurer. So we actually have oh, wow. uh, three current we have three current Freedom Caucus members and one legacy member, Bob Onder, a very good friend of mine running for Congress. So yes, one of our one of our long term goals, and we just launched the Freedom Caucus. There was a conservative caucus in the Senate for a while, but this is the first official launch of a of a of a Freedom Caucus under the State Freedom Caucus Network. They do such great work in eleven states around the country under Andy Roth's leadership. And uh, so, yes, our, our long-term goal is to develop that farm team. We've already, we've already had success in many of our state Senate races. Uh, we have, this year is going to be very difficult. The map is not as, uh, not as good this year for Freedom Caucus folks. But in two years, those, a lot of those nine rhino Republicans I told you that gutted the initial petition bill yesterday, most of them are termed out in two ah, years. So we, see, it's a, a double-edged sword. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we, it is. It is. And so we have an opportunity to get the right, not just any Republican, to get the right Republicans in office. We hope to actually become a governing majority in the Senate in a few years under the Freedom Caucus umbrella, exposing these people, Daniel, and you're helping me do that. I appreciate it so much. Letting people know that all Republicans are not created equal and people really have to do their homework. In Missouri, the primary is in August. Don't just go to the polls and vote for the first Republican on the ballot. Make sure you know who the right Republican is in the August primary. Bill Igle running for governor, Denny Hoskins, secretary of state, Andrew Koenig for state treasurer, and Bob Onder running for the third congressional district. Uh, there's our initial farm team, and we hope to expand it. Wow, what success. At Speaker Tim Jones on Twitter, for those of you who want to find out more. Hey, Tim, I know you got to run right now. Take care and definitely keep us updated. Thank you, Daniel. We will absolutely and really appreciate your uh, incredibly awesome show. I'm happy to come back anytime. Great. God bless. So, folks, again, Tim Jones, he is, he's not a current member. He's a staffer. He is the staff director of the Freedom Caucus. Um, in other words, uh, the Umbrella Organization has has a, a non-member who kind of just coordinates and is the state director for the sitting legislators who are part of the Freedom Caucus in each respective state. But he was a former, actually, speaker. Um, it's funny. He has mixed, mixed views on the whole term limit thing. I don't think it's the end all. It's really not. I do think on net it is a benefit because it does um, cycle in enough open seats that you know we could we could have a change like he said at the end. As far as the lobby is controlling, they control it anyway. Um, you know, unless we succeed in this Freedom Caucus movement. But but look at that. I mean, they they just started this literally a few months ago, and they already have a whole farm team for higher office as well as exposing these guys. This is this is what it is. The the current primaries are the most important primaries of our lifetime. And we're just sleeping through it. Oh, Daniel, the primaries are over. Actually, okay, that was a presidential primary, but we have every other one. And again, remember, you don't have to go through, you know, convincing, changing hearts and minds. Not really. You don't have to run through the mail-in ballot harvesting juggernaut. We just merely have to pay attention. And I just want to end off with one, one more news we were talking about. Uh, one more tidbit here. We're talking about Trump on, uh, you know, some of his endorsements, and you know, on on the positive front, I mentioned all the negative. Trump actually just endorsed good conservatives in the Texas legislature to go after um, some of these rhinos in the state house, including the speaker himself, Speaker Dade Phelan. He endorsed his challenger. Now. You might be wondering, hey, well, that's that's a good change of pace. Well, if you want to know why, it's just because all he, Trump and his movement understand are personalities. So 
and they, they didn't. So the funny thing is, you could rape us on on illegals voting, you know, abortion, uh, taxes, healthcare, you name it. But and that's fine. But they all understand that they went after Ken Paxton, who's now a big hero with MAGA, and they understand impeachment. So that is finally spawning that. But look, I'm not complaining. You know, finally we found an example of where his interests align with ours. And I actually think those guys will win. I think Texas, for the first time ever, we're going to have a huge opportunity to turn over the legislature there. Because remember, what Tim was discussing with Missouri, I could copy and paste that with slight shades of gray, little, you know, cultural nuances in 20, 20 plus other states. You know, some states like in the more upper Great Plains and Rocky Mountains like Wyoming, uh, Idaho, the Dakotas, Nebraska. It's more they had a Republican Party one state culture for many years, but they're rhino Republicans. Here, you know, in the South, they were Democrats, but then they flipped. But then, you know, they're, they're sheep's, uh, wolves in sheep's skin. But it's the same concept. So imagine if Trump would have been spending the last number of cycles and the people around him would have guided him to this sort of movement where he's not just not endorsing bad guys, but downright endorsing good guys. It doesn't have to be this way. But folks, unless we totally go to war with red state rhinos at a state level, nothing else will matter. Because if you can't change you know, things like, like we're talking about, I mean, literally just codifying that illegals can't vote in a place like Missouri, you ain't doing it anywhere else. And that's just the way it is. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns at Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. The email at armconservative is the Twitter. Of course, you can see my columns at The Blaze. There's some news on the Supreme Court I want to get to tomorrow. Uh, Trump's judicial nominee screwing us yet again on a seminal case with uh, um, affirmative action. Unbelievable. But we'll leave that full for tomorrow. Till tomorrow, Proverbs 425. And thank you for listening. Thank you.